Folks, he's got fire in his fingers. That's right, you're hearing the explosive, incendiary, volcanic sounds of the great Philip Sace. You're very lucky. We're about to go over to his house today. We're gonna land that helicopter on his front line and walk into his house and jam on some great stuff and he's gonna show you guitar to guitar how he gets those mojorific sounds how does he tap in to the divine and he taps in so fast the second he you know takes his amp off standby he's one of those players man he just goes today's hang is brought to you by guitar player magazine and guitarplayer.com guitar player play better sound better and many thanks of course to guitar player for sponsoring so many episodes of no guitar is safe the guitar show where guitar heroes plug in what an inspiring guitar hero philip is very generous with his insights and inspiration very interested in all things guitar you're gonna love it we're going deep into his album spirit rising which came out in 2020 and yes he does have a new album on the way can be very excited about that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but probably uh, early 2023. Gonna be badass. Philip is just a wonderful solo artist, but he also has incredible training that we're gonna get into from folks like John Shanks and Jeff Healy. Man, he played for years with the late great Jeff Healy. I never got to see Mr. Healy, but I feel like I was on stage trading licks with him today because the insights that Philip is about to give you are just mesmerizing as to how Jeff played and what it was like to be in Jeff Healy's band. I feel like I met him. I feel like I jammed with him. Incredible. And of course, Philip also was the sharpshooting lead guitarist for Melissa Etheridge for a handful of years as well in some recordings. So we get into all this stuff and find out how he became the explosive, inspiring guitar hero that he is today. For example... He even provided snacks, folks. That's how cool Philip Sace is. I'm bringing in my typical helicopter amp, which is the uh, Katana 1x12 combo, playing a Music Man guitar. He's playing one of his newest Stratocaster-style guitars. But we also, of course, talk about the two amazing 60s strats that he has in the room and all the history they have. Philip is a true strat monger and wrangler. I love that. There's something special about people who can wrangle a strat into those magical realms. So let's head over there. We're going to open on a jam called Once, a song from his album, Spirit Rising. We're just jamming, having fun, and I learned a ton. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. I'm Jude Gold. Keep it alive till you're 95. What's up, yo? Got Philip Sace in the house. This is a beautiful song that he wrote for his late father. It's called Once off his album, Spirit Rising. This episode is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. 
guitar player play better, sound better. So excited to be here at Phil's. You got me fired up. Yeah, I think you got you got me fired up, man. Just uh, watching you play and getting it all set up here. You know, it's a little extra extra fire in that one. Thanks beautiful. to you. That's thanks why I love this. Just get to play with guys like you. On, Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks to you. Thanks for having me. That sounded great, man. Oh, Crazy thanks. Jude. Come ah, come on now. Woo. <laughs> Wait, what's the name of that song? It's called Once. That is a good one, because I remember the ending of it has a different changes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone's had their caffeine this morning.
I'm going to chop all that last part off. No, man. That was awesome. That was super fun. Hey, well, this is too too much fun already, man. Gosh. Man, thank you. I found the coolest living room in L.A., folks. (laughs) Right here. (laughs) Hey, what a treat to sit across and watch you play, man. Beautiful playing. Man, you're just the coolest. You're like I can see why so many great artists have hired you because you you know you're not all about you. You're definitely. I'm here to learn. Yeah. That's what I, I'm here I to do. It. Well, you know, back at you. I know a lot of people say so many beautiful things about you and your playing. And look at look, you're out playing with big some big heavyweight cats. So for the for great reasons, you're a great guy oh, and man. a great player. Too much love. We need more love right now, man. Yeah, you got to try these little snacks. They're they're not if you want. They're they're pretty good. And if you need a napkin or anything, let me know. Yeah, that'll probably be. I just don't trust myself to like those not are, make a mess. No, no, no. Those are. Those <laughs> do, you could, would you, do you want one? Yeah, those JBLs get zingy, but when you when you open it up, it's like they they do a really cool thing. And I, if you and feel free if you wanted to try you know one of the guitars, but your your beautiful guitar here, which is oh well. Super sexy. Thank you. This is a Music Man Saber. Yeah. Two humbuckers. I do have strats, but they're all floating, and it would take a little while to drop them down to E flat. Yeah. So I brought this, but those two guitars that I'm looking at, I think those are what year? 63. Those just look like, man. Some guitars can tell stories. Those could tell like war and peace, <laughs> each one of them. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm really grateful to have them. Have them for a while, and... and uh, they're very uh, sentimental, but also yeah, a lot of emotion played through them over a long time and yeah. the highs and the lows and in between. So Yeah, man, you literally played the paint off those things. <laughs> did they have more paint when you got them? They certainly did. Yeah, yeah, um, they did. But, uh, you know, this one actually I just got, it's, I got not long ago from SVL. Do you know about SVL? Man, Simon is making like strats he's making are ridiculous yeah that's got a beautiful turquoise finish yeah yeah it's really uh really an amazing finish and so i've had it for about a month or two now and and i mean you know an old vintage strat has a certain patina for sure but he's the best he's making the best that i've that i've heard that like amazing it's like somebody put it in the delorean from 1961 and then sent it out you know it's like it's weird yeah yeah hey wait one question what the heck is that noise? And we can also just just totally <laughs> shut it off if that's helpful too. Oh no, it's okay. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like yeah, moving the fan there so it doesn't blow right into the mic. And uh, I did an episode with Cheers. Alan Parsons. Cheers, water to water. Cheers, water to water. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, are you kidding? Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah. Do you, are your friends call you Phil, or are they? I'm not. I'm not worried. Whatever. Is Philip? No, but but dude, you know, like my band, David, David Freiberg, original member, Jefferson Starship, and he was an airplane. And he was in Quicksilver Mess. Nobody calls him Dave. Your friends call you Phil, or are you like I'm Philip? I'm Philip, but most you know I don't get offended if someone yeah. calls me Phil. I, you know. All right. I'm, well, I'm cool. I'm gonna go back and maybe edit that Phil out. <laughs> no, I won't. but I was curious. You know, I was wondering about these things. I mean, there's yeah. there's so much other stuff to be worried about right now, right? I mean, I just yeah, oh yeah yeah not to worry about that. But thanks for asking. And so about like this fan guy, I had Alan Parsons on on the show and. Yeah. Uh, Setting up mics in front of him, a world-class engineer. <laughs> He's like, you sure you want to put it there? Maybe you want to... The amp is... Man. I was like, yeah. oh, you're right, Mr. Parsons. <laughs> yeah, totally. So wait, back to this guitar. Yeah, the beautiful finish. Yeah. Big fat frets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and uh, so... That was S- me. SVL, yeah. So he... And he makes his own pickup. Simon does. Simon works with The Who, and he's Pete Townsend's tech. 
So he um, and he's made some guitars for uh, like Robin Ford and Matt Schofield and some other players. And so I had the opportunity, and I'm, you know, I'm, I think I think he's really he's really hitting it. He's right. really doing it. Well, yeah. Let's hear it. Oh yeah. Well, this is just kind of straight in, you know. Uh, if I give it a little gas, should we give it a little gas? Well, it sounds great already. Is that just a Princeton going through those JBLs? Yeah, going through 410 with, with uh, three JBLs and one nailer because I ran out of JBLs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the silver cone JBLs, or what do you call them? Not the yeah, cone, but the aluminum um, dome. Yeah, dome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to have a Fender Twin with those. Yeah, glued to the floor. Yeah, I've back problems since that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. No joke. <laughs> Glued to the floor, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, that sounds great. Even before the pedal, I mean, you got a nice, you know. Yeah, I love the Princeton. You know, it doesn't have uh, most guitars. I'm used to using like a, a a treble bleed, so when you roll it down, it stays yeah. bright. But this one, I don't miss it. It's right. you know, I think Simon. I don't think Simon believes in them, or or it may not fair to say. I just don't think he includes them or, or uses them. Right, right. But this guitar has got the warmth. It's got. He's just, he's doing something right. I don't know if it's the wood he's selected or what's happening, but. Uh... <laughs> so it's a, it's a cool, it's a really cool guitar and we're getting acquainted. You know, I've had it for, um, as I was saying, about a month or two. Ah. And uh, yeah, we're getting a little acquainted. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah. Man, that's wonderful. Now back to these guitars that have like maybe two cubic, I mean, two square centimeters of paint left on either one of them. <laughs> I mean, I used to see Stevie Ray Vaughan a lot as a kid and he oh, would you did. drag his guitars around and yeah. step on them. And did you do stuff like that? How did, you, how did all the paint get that far gone? Bad aim. You know, be like, thank you, good night. Oh no, I missed. Oh, no. You know, no. Um, <laughs> just, pick. just, just playing them hard. You know, the way I, the way I really feel about it is, it's kind of like wearing yeah. your favorite pair of jeans every day. And if yeah. you wear them every day, after a couple of years, suddenly, oh, I got holes in my jeans. And so, yeah, um, you know, like the mother Strat I've had since 1998, and I saved up. That's the the white Stratocaster, and I named her mother, and because she's the mother, right? The, mm. the, and uh, amongst other things, like the motherfucker and, you know, like just the number one, <laughs> yeah. like the top one. So, um, and I've had her since 98. I saved up. I was playing with Jeff Healy at the time. And so we were on the road all the time. And, and um, I really wanted to get an old Strat. And uh, that was, some friends helped me buy it. And, uh, and then the, the Sunburst Strat, which I recently named Big Daddy after my dad. Yeah. Um, Wait, where'd you find the, this one with Healy? Where were you and where'd you locate it and... How did you meet it? So, yeah, thanks for asking. So um, a friend of mine, Bob Lazewski, who lives in Toronto, he was like my first introduction to a lot of vintage guitars. He had amassed some really beautiful guitars at the time. And I met him through the buy and sell, which was, you know, at the time it was like, I guess, was it pre-eBay or early days of eBay anyway? And so I found him on the buy and sell. I bought an amp from him. And he goes, hey, check out this guitar I have. And it was like a 52 Tele or whatever. And then he had 54 Strat and some old beautiful old Gibsons. And so we remained friends and would, you know, get in touch. And then when I let him know I wanted to buy a, uh, particularly a 63, he contacted a friend of his out on the west coast of Canada, I think on, I think Vancouver Island. And um, they had a guitar for sale. It came up. They sent it to um, me, and I, I still remember the UPS driver pulling up in slow motion, and it would walk <laughs> into the door, and yeah, yeah and I just chariots of fire theme playing in your head. Exactly, that's exactly what was happening. <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> like a it slow was... motion, you're running to the track. <laughs> well played. I love that. That, well, that was the feeling. And I, I, I remember it still vividly. So, and then I just started yeah. taking it out on the road. And, and uh, yeah, is yeah. it Jay Gore? I don't know. He's a local guitarist that plays a lot of great artists and stuff. And he's been on the show. He just tech, he's one of these guys text me. And I only get texts from him between the hours of 2 a.m. and like 5 a.m. because he's a total night owl. Right. He's like, check this out. It's like, uh, he just got a 63 Strat. He sold like three guitars and a piece of rack gear or something. Yeah. Amazing. Well, congratulations yeah. to your buddy. I mean, <laughs> it's there. It's an exciting thing when you have that opportunity yeah. to uh, to add a, a guitar like that. And I don't take it lightly. I have, you know, I'm thankful to have the instruments that I do. Really grateful. Oh, totally, man. Yeah. And uh, I just love the Strats so much. You get the most amazing Strat tone on... This song on your, I think it's your most recent album from 2020, Spirit oh, yeah. Rising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The song's called 555. Oh, yeah. First of all, why did that's an odd name. <laughs> yeah. Better than 666. I know, I know. No, I don't know. What, what, what's the inspiration? <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, it's a, song that, uh, it's a song that I wrote for my dad who passed away while we were making the, the record. And uh, it was quite sudden. It was really tragic. And uh, Man. Um, and right, not long before that, we had also lost another family member and my wife and I were consoling each other and we looked up at the clock and it was 5.55. And so we just, whenever Perfect. that time of day comes by, we remember and, and, you know, give thanks and, and sort of say a little prayer. And so, so the song is really intended as a, as a prayer for, That's, you know, God, it's so beautiful. Dad. No wonder there's so much emotion in it now that I hear the story. <laughs> record that first of all the tone on the record is just so perfect thank you thank I you mean, it's like the dream strat tone like lenny wow. or or one can dream wind but. cries mary mixed with lenny times you know with fairy dust sprinkled all over it and i don't mean to like sound hyperbolic but that's that's the tone what is it Th thank you jude that means a lot you know it was uh it was a super reverb that i have um that was worked on by the late great caesar diaz and um who we know worked on SRVs, amps, and yeah, Stevie. Stevie. That's why I first reached out to Caesar, and we. I'd love to chat with with you a bit about him, but um, certainly worked with him and George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, and like all of these great players. And so, I um, but I knew I learned about him because of reading about him through guitar magazines with Stevie Ray, and um, so yeah, so it was just a super reverb, and um, and we recorded it here at Station House Studio in Los Angeles, which is owned and, and run by Mark Rains, who's uh, a good friend and a, a brilliant um, engineer and producer and great person. So, um, yeah, so, and it was just live, you know, just in the room and... Uh, I don't have like this, I'm not set up for like the super duper clean tone at the moment, but, oh, yeah. but uh, you know, I'll just play like a little bit of it. It'd be like... Yeah. 
something like that. Fantastic. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, so I yeah, love it's it. for, my, for family members and particularly my dad and, you know, uh, well, every, oh, yeah, everyone, man. You know, and to anyone that, you know, like over this last two years, there's so many of us that have been affected by so much loss and um, total, like loss, whether it's a loss of life or a loss of uh, yeah. experience in life or just, you know, th- the last two years has been so much loss. So it really, that's what that song is, is about, dedicating yeah. to people. It is. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. You can feel the emotion pouring out of it. Mm. Now, did your dad and your parents get you inspired in music? I know you're born in Wales and then yeah. you came over to Canada, maybe Toronto when you were yeah. two years old or something. So you yeah. probably don't remember much. Well, I've been to Wales. Have you? A very nice restaurant there once. Oh my gosh. And was it fish and chips or was it a curry? No, it was a kind have? of a fancy, you know, English restaurant or something, but it was in a, like a house after a really cool hike. And then it was interesting because you order all your food, but they, you're in, in like a living room and you wait and you don't sit at the table until your food is ready. And then oh. they, they say, okay, your meal's ready. They bring you and sit you down in the other room with a nice table and candle and your food comes right out. So you're kind of like mingling with the, the other guests. It was cool. It was, it was great. And sounds very and, heartwarming. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's just ultimate cozy hobbit style hobbit style i don't know it was great man well it and that makes sense that there was some really amazing led zeppelin music that came from that part of the world too right in the hills there so i believe it there's something there for sure and then um toronto is obviously a gigantic city now it is it's crazy yeah yeah Yeah, it's like i think that every it's funny because a lot of friends in toronto like to boast that it's new york city los angeles toronto those are the three largest cities in north america so it's it's really come into its own it's yeah wow yeah it's a great I be- city i believe it so did were your parents like fostering music and like how did you get the bug yeah thanks for asking you know they so my parents were both librarians so it sounds yeah. kind of like funny like oh okay you like loud guitar but your parents are librarians but they um they were super cool with the music they listened to. Like from the time that I could first remember listening to music, it was Kinks, it was Beatles, it was Ry Cooter, it was great blues artists like Clapton, and, and but also learning about Buddy Guy and Albert Collins and Stevie Ray, of course, Jeff Healy was, you know, that music was brought in the house. And so um, they were, they grew up in London in the 60s, so they were there for all of that cool stuff happening. And um, they right. love Bob Dylan. So like it just all... All of the great stuff, and I'm thankful to have been um, immersed in that music from day one. Was there one record when you were a kid that just, like, from a guitar standpoint, like, really caught your attention? Yeah, Brothers in Arms by uh, uh, Dire Straits. Yeah, yeah. Knock Me Out. I still love it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that with, like, Money for Nothing and everything? Money for Nothing, The Man's Too Big, (laughs) Brothers in Arms, uh, Walk of Life. You know what I mean? That was a huge record, yeah. But yeah. Mark Knopfler, I mean... Yeah, one of my favorites of me too. all. I used to know the Sultans of Swing, every note of the whole... I performed it once at, a, at the Whiskey. Wow. I learned every single move. It was like a memory test. And Okay, so I... <laughs> but I'd, now I'd, I don't... Did, did, you, did you... Were you doing like the Knopfler style with the oh, thumb yeah. and fingers? Oh, yeah, yeah. That whole thing. I'd, can, you, can you play a little bit of it? Yeah. Right. I, I Yeah, I'm so mystified by it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, just the best. I mean, you know, That's come it, on, man. That, that solo tells a story, oh. and all the other side. I'm playing the most famous part there at the end, but all, every single lick on that song is just yeah, it's yeah. just perfect. I mean, he's I just making the guitar talk, and we all know that you know blues guys make the guitar talk too. 
Right. But he's yeah. like, actually, those those are actually, like, he's doing the more kind of intricate melodic phrases, but it doesn't lose that blues thing to, I'll never forget that solo. I mean, that was, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I that mean, was I'll forget cool how to, to play every note, but I mean, <laughs> the impact that, yeah. 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 And then that thing too. Oh yeah. That totally had a, and I love how you're playing with the bass going because you know, it's, yeah, that's yeah. not as easy as you think that, that riff money for nothing. I know. And it, and it has this really cool room sound. It always pisses me off that when the drums come in, the guitar goes totally dry. Yeah. I don't know if you ever knows that. The song, it's playing. It's got a nice three-dimensional yeah. sound. And all of a sudden, the drums come in, and it sounds like they just made it 100% like Steely Dan dry. I was like, yeah. huh. Yeah, full 80s at that point, you know. But I yeah, I'm, I, you know, I've always admired Mark Knopfler. The first concert that I ever saw as a child, my parents took me to see, was Eric Clapton with Mark Knopfler on second guitar. So it was like... Oh, like that you was the moment. Oh, man, he always had great guitar players. Like oh, uh, yeah. I remember getting a vinyl record of Just One Night. Oh, right, with um, uh, Alvin. Uh, Al- no, not Alvin. Uh, Albert, uh, Albert Lee. Albert Lee, excuse me. Thank there's you. There's one solo. I'm like, Clapton's burning. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, that's the other guitar that's, Yeah, yeah. That's like on the live version of Cocaine at the end. There's like a screen, yeah. I think. But anyway, so um, yeah, what a fantastic first concert. I, You know, I might have... I always tell people my first concert was ACDC because I was 12, and that's when my buddy and I, we fucking left the house and went to see our show and had yeah. our minds blown. Yeah. But my mom actually took me to a Bob Dylan show on Slow Train Coming. Oh, wow. And Knopfler produced that. I might have seen Knopfler that night when I was like eight years old or something. That's amazing. You know what? We grew up with Slow Train Coming in the house. That, that, I, remember yeah. the, I remember the vinyl of it and the picture very well. So yeah. yeah, that's it. That's amazing. What great lyrics on that title track too, slow drink. So, what was your impression seeing Knopfler as such a? How old were you? At the time, I was eleven. I think eleven. Yeah. It was in '88, oh, so I was probably eleven or twelve then, and it was mind blowing. I, you know, the first thing I remember was Clapton walking on stage. He was opening oh, yeah. the show with with Crossroads, a little bit of slower yeah. version, like the like. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not playing exactly right, but right. you know, it was like that kind of groovy version. Yeah. But he would come out like from out of the darkness, playing like all this like cool stuff. And I just remember my whole body, like every yeah. molecule in my body was like sh- shaking because it was like. And then the lights came up, and you know, you know, there's Knopfler, and I think Greg Fillingaines was with him, and I can't remember all the cats at that time, but it was Nathan East. But oh my gosh, like Clapton played his ass off at that yeah, show, and yeah. then. And then I remember certainly Knopfler during the show would take some leads, which were equally brilliant. And then I think during the encore, he might have played Money for Nothing. And uh, there was some trading going on. But wow, just like it's like an all-star oh, yeah. guitar night. And uh, yeah, cha- yeah. it changed my life for sure. First time I saw Clapton was with the Arms Benefit, which oh, yeah. was put on by Ronnie Lane. And it had Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and Jeff Beck, and Joe Cocker, right. and all these other players. And Jeff Peck, Jeff Beck stole the show, and but Clapton, <laughs> Clapton was great. But then I saw him again at the Shoreline Amphitheater in high school, or maybe it's the Oakland Coliseum. But he was really on fire. He had like a Marshalls behind him, I think, and a Strat, and he was real. I was really feeling it. Yeah, that time. And was that was that like maybe during the. Um um, like the like the Crossroads box set time. It's or? probably this. What was this song? <laughs> what key is that in? Uh, whatever key you're <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. 
what's the chords? I don't know what it. I can't remember what it goes to there, but uh, it goes to like a whole different thing. Now I want to hear you play a little bit. I'm gonna play underneath. One, two, three, four. It's so funny, man. You got me playing this. I tune the guitar down to E flat, and you really end up bending out the window sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. Just to keep going. Yeah. And I was, it struck me how much like it improves. Like, I love your vibrato so much because oh, you get man. the really. Like, it's, you know, I hate to bag on it, but sometimes I see guitar players and it's like they're, it seems like they're thinking about everything else but the vibrato. So they just kind of go. And there's, it's, I'm not here. I'm not getting the juice. Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like you're really making it sing with your vibrato. Oh, and Thanks. it struck me how much easier it is to do that. <laughs> not that I'm doing what you do, but oh, come on. with an E-flat tuning on a set of 10s as opposed to 440. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. get extra. Yeah, totally. And especially like after like, you know, night four of, of four in a row of two hour shows. It's like, it can be a little, it can be helpful. Um, but, uh, but also like the guys we're talking about Knopfler, whether it's Knopfler or Clapton or, or Stevie Ray or Albert Collins or, or Jeff Healy Hendrix, they all have this vibrato that is like, like that's the thing that for me always draws me in and, and, and continues to draw me yeah. in is, is just the, the fluidity of those, those players and the vibrato oh, yeah. is like such a human voice element. That Do you have any thoughts about vibrato or how to demonstrate? Or I mean, I'm always working on it every time. Yeah. There's, there's like different ones with different fingers and things like the Clapton one, which yeah. I mean, is always a work in progress because he's, he's so like just so relaxed and so beautiful. But it's like yeah. Yeah. that kind of thing. That, that first finger vibrato. The first finger. The- yeah. Yeah. And he gets it like sort of shaken up and down, you know, like that. Or the, you know, the, the other one that's, the other one that's really cool is where I love when he does these things, like clapping. You know, sort of like <laughs> yeah. let it kind of trail down, like, you know, those, uh, those kind of, abro- like. While my, my guitar gently. You know, that leaps. kind of world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, makes really making it cry. And, and uh, you know, of course, like. You know, taking the influence from the sort of Hendrix and, and also Stevie Ray Vaughan book where he would have like that, just that real wide, real kind of like. Maybe a little bit of Otis Rush, uh, I love as well, yeah, um, Albert yeah. King. And then certainly like Albert Collins being one of my favorites too for vibrato, like. A, like you know, that sort of. 
And then part of the thing too that I love about um, one is like a Stevie Ray Vaughan um, influenced vibrato is that on the B string where he would pull yeah. down. So you know you get that that real like that. <laughs> As opposed to going up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. A, I guess I bend too far. I just feel like I'm gonna fall off the fretboard. It's. It's so hard. Yeah. That sounds horrible. No, it doesn't at all. It's. But they have two. They have two voices, right? Like they're very different sounding. Yeah. It's every every pot every finger every little jerk every direction. Totally. Totally. That's crazy, man. Um, <laughs> you played at fucking Crossroads 2013, was it? 13, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric Clapton's giant guitar festival. Yeah. Was it at Madison Square Garden or something? It was Madison Square Garden, yeah, on a Friday night. So you did that the, I imagine you got to say hi to him or meet him? Or? You know, I didn't. I didn't talk to him. There were a lot of people or, around. There was a lot of mayhem. Everywhere you looked, it was like B.B. King was there, you know, yeah. like all well, these. Yeah. Tell me about the evening. Like, what was It was really like, special. Um you know, I had the opportunity to go there. Some friends entered me into a contest. Well, I so, tried this awesome pastry that you gave me. Oh, yeah. No, you got to try It's dates in there. Oh, yeah. they're, uh, it's definitely, they're worth it. They got to be worth it. I think like dates with like an almond butter situation. And, oh, my uh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully you, you're not allergic to almond California butter. California living. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at Madison Square Garden. All these gods walking around. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. And... Um, so I uh, played on the stage by myself, and uh, yeah, and uh, it was pretty nerve-wracking. We went on right after, like, I think Gary Clark Jr. was there. He had Doyle Bramall playing with him, Doyle the second playing with him, and full band, you know, it was like full crush. And they're like, and now we're going to invite up Philip Ace. And I just walked out by myself on a Friday night and sold out Madison oh. Square Garden, uh, some rental amps that I had kind of... I was hoping we're gonna work, and, uh, Holy and I just played. Holy Toledo! And, yeah, it was it was uh, it was definitely a challenging scenario, but I was really grateful to be there, and I think um, just kind of went for it. Where and did it you went play? Over. I played like a medley of um, sort of like a, a I mashed up a couple of songs of mine. One was called Steamroller with yeah. a couple of other things and a little touch of uh, Hendrix influence, and then um, kind of went into uh, like when I would see Jeff Healy nightly go into this sort of space at the end of songs sometimes he would take a free time thing so i tried to take a little page out of that influence as well and do my own thing with it of course but uh like he would do it with without the band or yeah like the band would stop and he would just go into something and it was different every night he would just improv something so i kind of left a space for some improv and kind of did that and the crowd was awesome they were super supportive and um and it was it made me a better musician it was a great Dude, experience incredible. first of all Cloth napkins here at the Sace household. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not worthy. No, that's my, that's my wife. I'm, uh, I'm not worthy. That's, that's my wife. She's styling. <laughs> that's great. So, um, and I love your singing too. Like you actually are a great singer. Thank you. Like there's, and there's so many songs on, on the new record. Like she's the music, or any, any, any one of these great examples. that free space is there anything to that with like the um opening track which is warning shot <laughs> yeah like that is 
That is space dust right there. I love it. You know, it was, it was just like Fuzzface, uh, Silicon Fuzzface, the 60s one, uh, 68, October 68, for any fuzz, fuzz nerds, fellow fuzz nerds, and, uh, and it's uh, one of the BC-183L, and it was a very, very specific sounding, very good one, and um, that threw an EP3 Echoplex and just cranked uh, the cranked Cesar Diaz amp and just kind of went for it, so yeah. And, so and that's a, a real, real Echoplex from what year? I think, you know, whatever, early 70s, I think they were. Yeah. So do you have, a, do you travel the tape echo? Because you do a lot of cool tape kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? Is, well, or is it too problematic? To, or, it's, it's pretty problematic. I mean, I'm always trying, I love playing with the tape machine. I mean, that's super fun. And as you well know, I mean, if you move around with the tape machine a little bit too much, get to the gig the first thing you turn it on boom it's in a knot and it's shut down oh oh you know so that's uh, happened I have no experience with them other than playing my friends yeah it, and it, it 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 happened many 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 times there's only so many cartridges you have and so i've been traveling with like just a, a line six uh the green four button oh. one that you get it's fine that they, the dl4 that they just remodeled brand new one i haven't i haven't seen the new one but i uh but i have the it's like 10 years old when I have one. Well, we got to I have many friends over there. Okay. Should we send you one? Yeah. I'm down. I love that, Jude. Thank you. I'm just double checking to make sure the tape is rolling. <laughs> that it's on? The proverbial <laughs> tape. <laughs> speaking Speak, of tape. Speaking of tape. Yeah. yeah. Theoretical. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> and then I, I see you, you play with a plexiglass, too. Well, you know, in, in, in certain scenarios, in certain scenarios. Yeah. yeah. Not, I mean, in here it helps just cause if I'm, I'm sitting taking direct hits with the JBLs, it's like, uh, but the JBLs sound like as you get loud, I mean, I can't be that loud in the living room, but as you get loud, the JBLs start to do a really nice thing with the Fender style amps, you know, or Marshall style right, amps right. too, I'm sure. But, uh, they start, I don't know if it's a compression, but the top end starts to kind of change and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I kind of I, I like ever, it. I don't know if I've ever had a set of JBLs up that loud. <laughs> yeah, they're well. Like think about like Dickie yeah. Betts, right? Like I mean, Dickie yeah, Betts, yeah. I think was using JBLs and and um, Albert Collins and and obviously Stevie Ray Vaughan was using them. Um, I think in the the first few years when he was of his touring before he moved to EVs, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's cool that you got to see Stevie Ray. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I saw him when I was thirteen or fourteen, and then three more times after that. But there's a place they called a club in San Francisco, the Kabuki Nightclub, but it was pretty big. It was an old movie theater, so mm. had a balcony and stuff. But mm. wow! But yeah, my elbows were just right on the stage. Oh, that close too! Wow! Right in front of him. Yeah, he had plexiglass, tall sheets. Yeah, because he had like seemed like four amplifiers or something. Man, he was. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of power. It was, it was the power of music, really, because. I remember it was a Sunday night, and I was a guitar nerd, and I went out about I went out by myself, which meant a train and a bus into San Francisco, and you know, there's no phones or anything back then. Yeah. <laughs> You're like looking at the maps and like, what bus line do I take? And you get out there, and then there was two opening bands, and they were both really good, and I was really tired. I'd been standing for like three hours on a cement floor, and wow, I was like so close to being like to leaving you know yeah. i love this, this steve ravon guy i love his record 
But when he came out, like he healed me literally. Like wow. there was no more pain. Yeah. Like it trans. That's the power of music. Like it was like one of the greatest guitar shows I've ever seen. So that's phenomenal to hear. Wow. Yeah. I think I've told the story before too. And I'm somebody out there has my pick. He dropped a pick, and all I had to do was like put like one knee on the stage and I thought about it for too long I thought maybe I'd get in trouble yeah you know lean crawl up for a second and grab it and then after like a minute this other dude did it it's like ah dude where are you out there (laughs) yeah Uh, I'm sorry man I know that feeling because when you're a kid it's like yeah to go on the stage am I gonna get in trouble and then someone's already grabbed it yeah like I I, yeah I I totally calculated risk yeah but the memory and the experience and the soul food that you received will stay with you forever so Oh, yeah, I was right there. Like, he, he would play, and the sweat would just drip all the way from his forehead to the tip of his cowboy hat and just be dripping down the tip. And he, he was in a trance. And he, what struck me, of course, was his rhythm playing. I noticed you do that kind of cross strum that he, that he and other players maybe do. I can't even do it. Well, it's the Dirty Pool thing. Oh, man. On the song Dirty Pool. He could do that for like 10 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah just unbelievably fluid and natural and. And beautiful to, to hear and also to, to, to see. I mean, it's just part yeah. of his rhythm of his soul. I mean, that's yeah. really what, oh, what but it feels you, like. You do some strumming like that. Well, it's influenced from that, but it's nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. So. Him, him and his brother, of course, Jimmy, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, totally random. I saw Jimmy Vaughn open for Rush. Wow. For Fabulous Thunderbirds and Rush, standing room only show. How weird when is that? When I was like 17. <laughs> What a, what a show that is, too. What a Amazing. lineup. Wow. wow. So what was the first lick that you remember playing? Anything? <laughs> or something that you like? It doesn't have to be the first one, but some, the first one you've dug. You know, probably something... Um, probably something like down here, like a... Like a... Like a... Listen, you know, obviously listening to a lot of Stevie Ray, and, and especially Stevie Ray at the time, and... Um, Eric Clapton and, and having that be sort of my primary um, area of uh, vocabulary, right? And, and still to this time, but I think, you know, something down in the first position, that probably like... Something down, yeah, you know, yeah. something in that area, you know? It's probably yeah. like the first thing. And then I, I still just remember yeah. learning the first time, like figuring out where someone showed me or whatever it was. Uh, like a, you know, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, I love that vibrato, man. But, but I mean, the Clapton one, he, yeah, he gets the shake though up and down, you know, he's, it's yeah. a different. Yeah. 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 I know, man. He's so special. Oh man. And then I think there was another one too. This just popped in my head. I, I may not play this right. So we meant to edit this shit out, but hang on. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was yeah, a yeah. U2 yeah. thing, and I remember it was like, all right, yeah. Sunday, bloody Sunday. That's so a great you know, lick. Yeah. And a good, t- great tone on there. Oh, man, the edge. Amazing. I love the edge. Me too. That's my favorite part of the song, I think, is the intro. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. But I do like the... Or whatever it is. That's powerful, man. Yeah, U2 is... Yeah, I really think the edge is actually underrated, even though he gets so much celebration. There's so many like lead guitar players. I mean, he's the king of like three-dimensional texture so and he I'm, can I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. and he oh can gosh. throw it down when he needs to have you i mean some of those live oh, yeah. versions of bullet the blue sky from back in the yeah. day like he would take a lead for a while and it's like okay he could do that too with a slide he fucking i love the edge so i love yeah 
Yeah, me too. I, I have a lot. And, and his yeah. feel. And, and he influenced, I think, really influenced a lot of popular modern music yeah. in the bands that came after. They all kind of shaped, just much like we're talking, like, like Stevie Ray in his way or Hendrix in his way, I think The Edge is so influential to so many players and to the way we hear music now. Yeah. So how did you end up playing with Jeff Healy? I mean, yeah. you probably told the story many times, but one of the legends and yeah. sadly no longer with us. Yeah. And he played with the guitar in his lap facing up. Just. Gosh, tell yeah. us about that. Well, yeah. I mean, did you ever get to see Jeff live? No way. Yeah. He, um, he fucked people up when he played. It was like, wait a minute. What is happening right now? What's happening to my brain? Like, yeah, he just. He had this way of as soon as he would start playing a couple notes, even if you didn't see him sitting down, a blind man playing right. on his lap, he would just like turn to play a couple notes. The whole room would go, what was that? He just had that thing. He just had yeah. something very unique and special. So I was in Toronto growing up and, and just getting on the scene. I'd played a couple gigs um, and uh, had started doing some recording um, and had had signed up with a label and, and was starting to get some, some recordings done. And uh, one, of, one of the nights I met a, a gentleman named Corey, who is a lifelong friend, and uh, Corey Myluck. And um, Corey introduced himself because I had a Vox Wah. And he goes, man, I got a Vox Wah too. Hey, you know, and we just hit it off immediately. And as we got to know each other um, over the coming months and years and stuff, he just said, hey, man, you know, I used to take care of Jeff Healy. And Jeff was one of my main influences. I was like, What? He goes, yeah, Jeff's a good friend of mine, man. I was like, wow. He goes, I'd love for yeah. you to meet him someday. So anyway, he brought me down to a club to see Jeff playing at the time. In Toronto, he was playing like jazz music. He, Apart from the blues rock that he was known for, um, he also was a, a fish, jazz aficionado and he would play horn and amongst also jazz. Yeah, like, yeah, and jazz guitar. Too. I mean, he was... He was crazy. It was, it was crazy, yeah. And um, singing, I mean, it was beautiful. And so... Uh, Corey brought me down to meet him at one of those shows. It was very brief. It was, hey, Jeff, nice to meet you. I was like shaking and nervous. And a little while later, I was playing a gig and my friends you know, were at the gig and they got really loud, like really, really loud and applauding. I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, all right, thank you. And then after the show, they said, man, Jeff Healy was here. And I was like, what? And he goes, that's why we're making so much noise for you, man. <laughs> So fast forward, Jeff and I um, awesome. unexpectedly ran into each other in an area of Toronto called Kensington Market one night. And there was a jam going on at a club. And Jeff was like, come on, man, let's go play. And he grabbed the bass and he goes, I want you to play guitar. And I was like, I was shitting. I was so nervous, you know. And we played, uh, jammed on like some Willie Dixon songs. Like we played uh, like Spoonful, Cream Influenced. And then we did play a little Crossroads Robert Johnson and, and again cream influenced and then um, something else and we came out of the club and he said said hey um, would you like to join my band and we'll teach you how to play on big stages we'll let you front the band for a couple songs each night and we'll groom you and once you're ready we'll set you on your way how does that sound oh my gosh yeah and so I fainted and passed out and then when <laughs> I woke up I was like did that really happen and then we were went out on the road. I worked with him for four years, and uh, so he was, why why would he need another blazing guitar player in his band? You know, he was he, he you know he could play everything. He didn't need he didn't even need a right. drummer and bass player. He could just do it all. And uh, but he was that kind of giving spirit, and on and off the stage, and you know he he was true to his word. You know he um, 
he stretched me so much. Like he would play a solo that would literally make the ceiling cave in. And then he'd be like, all right, Philip, what you got? And I'd be like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like I was terrified, but I just dug in and went for it. And he was stretching me and he was, he was that kind of guy. And he worked with other musicians too, young musicians up and coming in different uh, genres. And, you know, he's just that kind of guy. Is there anything, is that kind of what you're talking about, about learning to play on big stages? Or did he teach you anything even more specific about doing big shows as opposed to clubs? Well, I think it was just like, yeah, I think it was, you know, like one of the first gigs we did was like a 10,000 person festival in Finland. And I remember like I'd gone from playing very small clubs or, or small clubs to uh, maybe a max of 500 people to, yeah, yeah. 10,000. It was definitely like a holy shit. And I think just kind of like, learning about the sound on the stage, learning about maybe a little bit about a certain stage presence, a little bit about um, dynamics, a little bit about pacing, you know, just all the things that, that come into it, a little bit about like flying into a gig and your gear, your gear didn't make it. So I think the first gig in Finland, I remember none of our gear made it. And so we were playing on guitars that weren't ours and the amps weren't ours and everything. And Jeff wow. sounded like a million bucks and I was like really out of my element. But that kind of experience allowed me to learn. And um, yeah, I, there's just so many details, as you well know when you're on the road, that, that go into a stage performance that, um, that come from just, just getting, in the, getting in the deep end and going for it. And so he gave me that space and that room. Does he have any, like, you know, you play with him for four years, and can you show me anything that you kind of learned from him? Not like a literal line or a lick, but like anything that has influenced you or something in your playing? I think, you know, a lot of the, um, I think a lot of his ability to, I mean, I can't play anything like him, but I think the, the, just he was totally ferocious and fearless, but also tender and delicate. And, um, And there were no, like, there were no lines. He could play over the bar. He could play within the time he uh, there was just so much wizardry to his playing but one of the things that that i really appreciate is the kind of the the, um the finesse with which he could bend strings and vibrato and he always improvised every night he played something totally different and and um yeah i'll I'll try and play something but like you know the first thing i always think of i mean is uh Let's see, I'll try and play this song that he had called My Little Girl, which he played the intro to, I played the rhythm on, but I always try to work on, on like trying to get it. Um, he'd start the show out with this song, and it was always like, it's just wicked. And um, You can sing too if you want. <laughs> thanks, yeah, you know, well, we'll make, yeah. I, here, I'll, I'll play a little something, let's just see what happens. I'll just step on a little gas here and see. Yeah, what, what's that pedal? This is a Cesar Diaz Texas Ranger pedal oh, that, cool. that Cesar built for me i went to his house and i'll, I'll tell you about it in a second it, all right cool um it sounds a lot like a like a really cool tube screamer um and again i'm at a pretty low volume at the moment but um but it cleans up oh, a bit yeah. when you roll it back like a fuzz face you know um but so this song my little girl which is you know a lot of fun if i can if i can get through it but it's Yeah. <laughs> 
think some of those like some of the like trying to get those like real bends out of nowhere were things that Jeff would do that were really like you know, it's like where the hell did that come from? And and it always scared the shit out of me. Well I was gonna ask you about like you slide up sometimes it's almost like a human whammy pedal kind of thing. Yeah. Can you tell I, us more about like is that what you're talking about? You jump up and hit a random yeah. Flying bend out of nowhere? <laughs> I think so. I think that's that's really the, the attempt. Like, I mean, I would see Jeff, sometimes he would have this, like, beautiful phrasing going on. Um, but, yeah, then he'd come out of nowhere, like... <laughs> like that kind of thing. And I just oh, always was like, oh, man. And when that you least so cool. When you least expect it. And uh, it just floored me. And I, you know... One more of those. Come on. <laughs> I don't know if I can always nail them, but let's see. Like, something like... Give me one more. Give me one more. Yeah, <laughs> I can't, if, I th- if I think about it. So, yeah. So, sometimes he would, like, slide up and grab one. Let me see. Uh, okay, let's, let's do one in B. Like a... <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, it's, it's different each time, but... Um, but Jeff, I mean, in the way that he was playing, right? Like he could, he'd pull the strings all the way back or he'd get his thumb in there. And, and, uh, but also his sense of rhythm and timing was crushing. Like yeah. it was like, what is happening here? It was supernatural. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And he would get like his fretting hand thumb on the neck, you're saying, doing stuff. Crazy. It's interesting with people who have no sight, this. It seems like they're instinctually, this is like maybe the best way to play guitar. Like this is a, for us to stand up and everything and run around with it. Yeah. The strap over the shoulder. But this, this is the most intuitive, natural, instinctual way to have it flat on your lap. I agree, man. And, you know, he could play with his teeth like this. He'd play behind his head like that and shit. It was great. And then when he was done fucking with you, he would then start playing this way. And then you just uh, like, oh, no, you mean oh, play no. Like a standard just, yeah. way of playing. Just right? standard way of playing. It's like, so, you know, you could pull out. And the thing like that, we, that I would like to do is I would be in the hotel room waiting for a sound check or showtime. And I'd be like, okay, I got to come up with like a cool theme tonight that, that maybe I'll crack Jeff up with this or whatever. And so I'd like spend a while finding a good one. And then, you know, like, uh, you know, um, you know whatever something and throw it in yeah. in a solo before it was two notes in he was already playing the harmony of it like he could yeah. he knew anything and everything that any any old yeah. tv show theme like it was he was just a special special man yeah i heard you one of your songs i heard you quoting a theme i was gonna ask you about it I well swear. yeah I mean, it's just for you know something fun i mean i mean clapton used to do that right in, in cream yeah. and um like and i'm so glad i'm a little out of tune but you know i'm so glad i remember hearing him do um He'd be like, uh, you know, that kind of thing, which is fucking, you know, I think super cool. That's that's great. That's not, which symphony is that? Yeah. I don't, you know, this, this is my showing my ignorance. No, me too. That's on Tim and I was thinking of, which is Beethoven's ninth. You know yeah. what? Another great, another great one to call upon. You know, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love all, I love all that, those kind of mashups. And how did you get that delicious fuzz, man? So this is a, a Caesar Diaz uh, square face fuzz from back in the day. One of the ones that he made. And um, you know, my understanding is that he was building them for Stevie Ray, and um, you know, they they kind of worked on them. And, and this was his pedal that he released called the Square Face. 
And um, it's a great, really, really great sounding, um, his take on a fuzz face, a little different, um, but, but really great. And they clean up real nice too. Um, they, they, they really do. Like if you get that, uh, like a, you, know, you get a little bit of that. Hang on, let me, uh, I got it kind of cranked at the moment. So oh, anyway, yeah. uh, but if I, um, it's fun for like riffs, it kind of punches some riffs out a lot. So, you know, um, without kind of getting too, I don't know what the word is. Sometimes fuzz face, like fuzz faces are the best. I love them. Um, but this is like a, like a souped up fuzz face. It's like super cool. Um, like a cool riff might be. But if you if you keep moving the volume while you're playing it, you get like different kinds of, yeah. you know, you go from the full like. So it kind of cleans up to getting really fuzzy. Not that anything sounds like Foxy Lady, but you know, what I'm, you know yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fantastic. The unobtainium pedals right there. Very, very nice to have those lying around. Well. There, there are some companies that are making uh, replicas of them, which are, I haven't necessarily tried them, but I yeah. think they're supposed to be really good. And, um, but Caesar was a, a real influence on me as well, and, and just yeah. spending a bit, a bit of time with him, and over the course of a few years, he really taught me a lot too. Because when you're playing, like at the time playing with Jeff, his sound was like Marshall and a 412, or like a big matchless and a 412. And I was coming in with a lot of boutique amps, and they just weren't cutting it. Like they sounded great in the house, but yeah. when you got on the stage next to a full hurricane player, it was like they just disappeared. And so Caesar was really, really helped me to kind of get my sound together. And um, obviously, yeah. he was working with the greatest players of all time. So oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's so cool. Where did you hang out with him in Texas or something? Or where? So he lived in Pennsylvania. He lived in Pennsylvania. Yeah, in the Poconos. And um, I just looked him up in Vintage Guitar Magazine. And uh, his phone number was there, and I called him, and he picked up. And I said, hey, the first time I called him, I said, hey, I'm in Chicago. I'm with uh, Jeff Healy, and I need some amp help. I'm like, you know. And he goes, okay, send me. So I had a dual showman I sent to him, and he worked on it. And I'd also already purchased a Squareface, uh, the fuzz pedal. And so he sent it back to me after a while, and it was fucking crazy sounding it was like okay okay and then i um called him up and um said i've got a few other amps and he said hey come over to my house and i was in toronto so it was only about a six hour drive and um rented a car and put like a bunch of fender amps in and drove down and he let me sleep over and we spent a couple days together and his family was really nice they made me breakfast it was like Dude. Just the coolest guy. Heart melting story. <laughs> he was a he was the kindest guy, and uh, I mean I know that that he was like also take no shit guy, but he was like I was just grateful to be with him, and so he built actually this pedal for me and another square face that I have, and um, and those amps were nuts. I still have the super reverb that he did, and uh, yeah, I have the Fender 
Vibroverb reissue hand wire with the Caesar mod. You have that it. one. It's 115. It came yeah. out like 2007 or something. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I've, I played it for a million gigs. I don't know if I ever turned it up all the way though. There was I played it for like bar gigs and it's loud, you know, right? To where? Yeah, I mean, I think it's loud. It's not as loud as maybe a Fender Twin, but I'm not turning those all the way up either. To where? <laughs> but to get the real breakup, you know. But yeah, it was it was great. I love that amp so much and. Uh, I still, of course, have that one. There's not many of them around, so it's cool that you have one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Occasionally, like, I'll, I'll look around on Reverb or eBay or Craigslist or whatever and see if I can find one if there's... But they don't come up very often. Yeah, so. they're kind of an uh, oddball thing, really. Yeah, but, you know, so I just cool. played one on the weekend in Dallas. We were at the Guitar Festival, oh, yeah. and the back line was not, not working. It was not cutting it. And my friend Wes Jeans, who's a great guitar player from Texas... He had it in his car, and he goes, "Dude, I'll get my amp." So he brought that exact amp oh, out, cool. and I never really played. And it saved the saved the day, man. Sweet. West Jeans saved the day with the with the <laughs> cranking uh, it up. Yeah, with the with the vibroverb. So I really liked it. It was cool. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about. Um, I guess you ran into John Shanks, and he fell in love with you, the great producer. He used to play with Melissa Etheridge, and of course produced her, I think, and oh, Cheryl yeah. Crow. So many people. Yeah, he's done. And he's done very well. He's yeah, he's a powerhouse, and he is he, a powerhouse. He took a liking to your playing, and next thing we know, I guess he needed someone to fill in the guitar slot on, <laughs> with Melissa or something, lead guitar slot. Yeah. And you're, how did that happen? What was your first moment with Melissa like? Did you walk well, into a rehearsal room or what was it? Yeah, well, thanks for mentioning John Shanks. He's a big influence on me as well. Yeah. Um, certainly in, in the way you're describing, but also as a guitarist um, and producer and just, you know, being around somebody like that who's certainly that talented, but also evolved as an artist. Um, you know, I want to just be a sponge when I'm around him. I want to learn from him. And uh, I'll just tell this story really oh, quickly, please. but Absolutely. I was at Westwood Music. So at the time, my wife and I had just moved to Los Angeles and it was like, okay, well, we, well, you don't really know anyone. And, you know, we're trying to get going. I was trying to find work and playing and uh, play wherever I could. And so I was at Westwood Music um, and I was trying out Mojave amps, which are great amps, really great. Yeah, yeah. Because I was on tour with Uncle Cracker at the time. And he had a huge hit, and so we were touring around, and and um, was that the drift away or drift away? Okay. Yeah, exactly. During that era, and um, and, and and he you was played a on that, right? I played on the record, not oh, on that song. Yeah, the producer played. Mike Bradford played, I think, on that song, but I played on another track on the record. And um, anyway, Mike Bradford introduced me to them, which was super nice. And uh, so I, I went in because all the Fender Twins that I had backlined were always blowing up on the gig, and so I'm like, man, I got to find an amp. And so Mojave was demoing these amps that morning. So I went 10 o'clock in the morning and I was trying them and it was like back to the future. Walla amps, super <laughs> loud. And, and I, I went in and was playing and they sounded really great. I really liked them. And um, in walks this guy and he just kind of walked right over to me and started adjusting the amp. He started turning the knobs on the amp and I was like, hey man, what's up? And he just like looked at the guitar. He goes, who are you, man? And I said, I'm Philip. Who are you? And he goes, I'm John. And he, go, he just, he had a card at the time and he just said, come see me later i was like okay he was really friendly like there was nothing yeah. weird but it was like very direct and and to the point so he was at henson at the time and again i was new in town i really know i went to the studio and went in and he had just had like this just potpourri of beautiful guitars and amps and this high-end studio and i'm like what's happening yeah and was he, he doing a session or he was mixing he was doing a mix i think he was doing a mix session or he was yeah. working on these tracks and he goes oh check this out man like kind of and it was melissa etheridge's new record and he was like working on it and kind of i'm like wow 
And so I think he was just kind of vibing me out to see what was going on. And one thing led to another. A couple weeks later, I got a call from Melissa's management. And they just said, would you want to work with Melissa or whatever? And I'm like, wow, what an incredible, I love Melissa. That would be incredible. I, oh, sure. And so I met with Melissa for lunch. Um, just her and I, she showed up on her own and we got Mexican food for lunch somewhere in, in Santa Monica and, and she was super friendly. And um, next thing I knew, I, I sort of rehearsed with, uh, rehearsed slash um, auditioned. Kenny Aronoff was playing drums and Mark Brown was playing bass. So they gave me the records to learn and Melissa didn't show up, but it was like Kenny and Mark were trying to see, okay, is this guy going to be all right? And I practiced nice. the shit out of those songs. And then we got there and, and it was like, we all got along really well. And next thing I knew we were out touring and, and yeah. Melissa was, she's just an, an incredible mentor and talk about someone that yeah. can fucking own it when she gets on that stage. I mean, she crushes it and uh, she gave me a lot of room to, to, to learn and grow. She's yeah. really kind to me. Any specific takeaways playing with her? Like you told us some interesting stuff playing with Healy. Here's a whole different kind of performer, powerhouse songwriter and strummer. And, um, but just as far as performing or anything? or Well, I think, again, her, uh, somebody, again, who doesn't need a band. She can just get up and play on her own. Her time is phenomenal. And the level of musicians, like Kenny Aronoff on drums, there is like, Damn. or Mark Brown on bass, like there is no room. Fritz Lewick came in and played drums after. I mean, there's no room for uh, not being in that pocket. And everyone knows, and she knows. I think learning her songs um, was a real um, educational experience around songwriting and what makes a great song. Watching yeah. her perform each night and how she could really reel the audience in with, with like a pin drop and then other times roar like a lion. Um, yeah. I think learning about her stamina, her shows were three hours long every night. What? Yeah, it was crazy. And she was very emotional. And... Um, yeah, again, like her rhythm and stuff like that. And then finding spots to play that would also, I was always aware that as a guest in her house, right? So how do I try to make this the best experience for her, right? Like how do I set yeah. her up for, you know, uh, I think maybe it was a Carlos Santana. Somebody said like, give her the best couch to sit on that I can. But she invited me up a lot and give me like solos to play for like, she'd go sit down and say, just play for 10 minutes, just go and so it really gave me an opportunity to um, try to improve my game to be able to play with someone like her and, and Kenny and Fritz or, or um, Mark Brown. I think it, it really forced me to uh, fucking focus, practice, yeah, just, yeah. just try to get better. You know, when you're playing with people that are that much stronger than you, like it, what they do, it's like, man, I got to get... seems to be a pattern of yours. These people are, are more experienced than you, <laughs> pull you up and... To their bands, that's pretty awesome, man. Well, they they stretch me a lot, so and I'm thankful for it. You actually play some really fast runs sometimes when you get fired up. Is I don't know if you ever like practice, like I I don't know if you're picking every note sometimes or you're kind of mixing in. It's like it's probably hard to break it down technically in slow time. Yeah, I mean I'm not really a super technical player. I think you know like there's things that I like to grab and 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 do, but I'm not like a scale necessarily a scale um, minded person. I didn't learn in that way. I think I kind of learned bending until it sounded like it was in pitch or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times, like some of my favorite players we've been discussing today, um, I like to incorporate some fingers and, and pick. 
Mm -hmm. um, or sometimes just fingers where you can kind of get that kind of a little bit of a roll happening, those kinds of things. Um, like this. Like those things where yeah. that's just fingers versus um, like this. Uh, that's pick and just that's pick and yeah. middle finger or if you get these two going like well a little a little tighter than that but you know what i mean so oh, yeah try Putting to get acrylic nail on there i do on my middle finger as you can yeah. see sometimes because it just when i'm picking Shrim. i pick pretty hard sometimes i rip my nails off but um yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes i'll put one on here um because once your nail's gone and you're going for it, it's like, wait, there's no nail there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I try to incorporate that a lot. And I think certainly seeing, um, studying a lot of Stevie Ray's technique and, and certainly other players too, Albert Collins with the fingers, like, like that kind of. that kind of thing with with fingers I, I yeah i really like and mark Knopfler as we talked about and so yeah. trying to mix some of those players up and then for a screaming wow you like these is that like a vintage vox wah there or i do i i like the old vox was my friend Corey that i was mentioning earlier it's all his fault he um he messed me up at the young age uh i was a teenager he had a picture clyde mint condition the most yeah. minty like serial number 200 and something very early and it just sounded immediately like uh up from the skies by Jimi hendrix it was just like the best sounding wah and so since that time i've i went kind of nuts and and everywhere i could find one i'd try and buy them and i think his is still one of the best i've ever heard so that got me hooked on the old box and old crybabies for sure and uh that's what jimmy used and Stevie and, and Jeff, yeah. Jeff Healy was using, I think, an old crybaby early on in his career, but uh, he was amazing with the wah, too. Well, you get some really screaming feedback and sustain. I would, what's that combination? Is that sometimes like the wah and the fuzz and the amp cranked up? Like, I mean, there's probably so many examples, like your Scorched Earth live record, or maybe, I don't know, is it burning out on the new record? There's different yeah. moments where you really get the volcanic like feedback and sustain happening wow what's, what's the recipe well thanks for thanks for listening man and thanks for pulling those examples oh. actually the scorched earth thing was tricky i had strep throat that night and it was rental backline so it was like oh and we're making a live record what the fuck so yeah um but uh it's usually you know like a fender marshall style vox whatever you know tube amp kind of with some heat on it doesn't need to be on 10 and um usually the old maybe let's say a tube screamer for or an overdrive pedal of some kind. Um, let's see if I can get something going here. We're at a low volume, but yeah. with the old Waz, there's like, there's like sort of like little spots on the, the throw as you go through where you get yeah. little peaks of, of feedback. And one of the best, or the best I ever saw on video anyway, I didn't see Stevie Ray live, but during his song, Say What, where he would just grab those feedback notes. He could just grab them anytime and it would go for like, you know, 20 seconds. But let's see if I, let's see what we got here right now. That where it sort of grabs it, right? Oh, it's a beautiful, it's just some people 
my grandfather would be like, listen to that guy. It sounds like he has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but to me, it's Beethoven. It's, it's Mozart. It's so beautiful. It's Pavarotti. I'm with, I'm with you, man. I mean, he said that when I played him Led Zeppelin. I'm like, hey, listen, Dad. Listen, Gramps. This is... I never called him Gramps. So listen, Grandpa. This is... This is a Led Zeppelin Robert Plant singing. He's like, sounds like he's got to go to the bathroom. It's like, that's hilarious. Like, ah, ah. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that well, sounds I, so beautiful. And you I got, love that story. That's funny, man. And you're getting like a, I think part of it is you get that pure interval too. You get like a pure major third between the two notes, right? Combined. Right. So the frequencies line up. Like, yes. And then, and, you, or minor third. Or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and the they, feedback happens. Like, even in a chord, you can sort of hear it sometimes, like where you go like... You can hear it right there, right where it goes yeah. wah, like that. It's in there. That's the one there. But it's, yeah, it's in there. Yeah. And that's, well. yeah, that's sort of the... That's yeah. I mean, I'm always trying to find that. You know, it's always always a work in progress. Now, are you, or do you keep your bar floating? It's it's tight to the body because if a string blows, I want to you know try I to know, keep that's, it. That's why I have this one that way too. Especially because I do a lot of drop D, like changing tunings. And so so you you mentioned a little bit earlier. I don't know if it was on the recording or not, but about this guitar, like that's such a beautiful instrument and like the the flame in the wood and the and so is that jumbo frets yeah. on there too? I would say not quite. This Music Man Saber, they're kind of thin, thin-ish. They're tall. They look really well. It's just they look yeah. really nice. Yeah. And they're steel, and I got you know if you get a steel fret and you get like a little thing in there. I try to protect them with a string projector and everything. I got one of those spots now where it's like <laughs> it goes scratchy. Oh, so but, so those are stainless steel frets though. Yeah. I I like stainless steel frets. Yeah, this is a great good great like guitar because it really does kind of have like some stratiness and some less Paul-ness like you know that's like an in-between kind of sound or yeah. the, that would be the bridge pickup yeah so that's a great sound it's wow. kind of a great one-stop guitar I don't normally go for flame top like fancy looking strat kind of guitars oh that's a beautiful but finish. this one you know this guitar kind of found me yeah and uh how I did it find you it well Sorry. they uh i do rev i review guitars right so technically i'm still reviewing it <laughs> it's like two and a half years ago i love music man i was just at the factory we just played a gig in san luis obispo 10 days ago cool and went in the factory and we're hanging out and got a great tour from robert ochoa and uh yeah, man, they what it they are happening, man. They are moving, really they're selling many, many guitars. They're all made right there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it was really, really cool day. And and just you know, like just to kind of like throw the ball around a little bit. Who were like was was Eddie Van Halen a, a, a big influence on you like growing up? Ah, uh, definitely. Um, Would he be like in your Desert Island top top three players or top five players? <sighs> That's always a hard one. I, I don't know if I could get it down to five. Maybe. 10 top 10 and yeah. i always forget who but like my first was probably nile rogers when i heard oh freak out nice i was like i want to get an electric guitar because <laughs> i had an acoustic guitar but or you know nice yeah yeah but wow, i mean guitar sounds great yeah. the, the van halen thing is yeah Absolutely, like Mean Street or something. I don't have enough yes. distortion now, but I, I, I heard it there. I heard it. You know, I mean, shit. You gotta have. 
You gotta have some gas on there, but yeah, I I heard it though. No, you didn't hear it. tell you that sounds that sounds fucking amazing right here i always thought that he must have played a fucking g power chord there but it was just the it's ringers just open. The open d and g string and then you know the main lick but i don't know i think steve ray vaughn was like in terms of who i played the most i would say van halen nile rogers stevie ray vaughn and um david gilmore and de- oh, yeah. Those are the ones in, that I like would imitate their solos yeah. as a teenager, yeah, and oh, in high school. And the fun part is you can still work on them your whole lives. You'll never get you can. You're only continually perfecting them and improving. And like, oh, I think I understand what he did there. And then I, I don't know if this is your experience, yeah. but like what you just said. Oh, okay. And then you realize it's like I'm not. No, that's not even fucking close. Like you see another live video or something, and it's like. Back to the drawing board, you know. It's like that wasn't yeah, right. Yeah. Those guys, you know, the the four names, but certainly many of all the players we talked about today. But like, it's a never-ending yeah. journey. It's not like about also like trying to totally cop it, but it's like about how they push you to try to evolve. And I, I there's something oh, yeah. so much soul, like as you said, like in in Eddie Van Halen, like it's not somebody that necessarily, um, you know, comes through and maybe in, in my playing all the time, but you're his swagger and rhythm and like oh, funk man, yeah. a, apart from, I mean, along with all of the, the virtuosity, but like, man, I'm just, I'm, you know, I think he's was so beautiful. Yeah, so I, beautiful. Like I heard some classic rockers say, Oh, I was never into Van Halen. He's a, those technical players. Like I don't really think of him as technical. I think of him more as like a Mozart mixed with like, you know, a hard rock Clapton seventies guy. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, so with 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 just what, I mean, who is exceptional. I mean, if he was, you listened, yeah. Some of his solos are so melodic. What's the one on? Uh, I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah, it's the most beautiful solo. Wait, it's like I'm too loud. He does it on like a Stratocaster or something. Really. <laughs> well, was it? Did Eddie tune down half step for his whole career, just on the early Van Halen records? Um, most, I think, a lot of them. But then certain songs, like the keyboard song, I think that was in four forty. Right, or like, that would make sense. I think, I think Hot for Teacher was in four forty. Interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, like that. That um, I don't even know if I play it right. What key is? Uh, uh, little dreamer in because that's like when I was like like a... I don't know if I play yeah, it right. That, that, I, no, I, that's I right. Is that a? Is that a C? Yeah, I think it's C. I think you're right. Is it? I actually I. Dude, yeah, that the song. solo on that. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I'm fascinated with people who get a certain reputation, but they're also a little underrated. Like people think, oh, he was the shred guy or he was the tapping guy. Like you're missing so much if you ever think that. That's like one slice of the pie. Yeah, there's so much bluesiness and soulfulness. And like that solo right there that you mentioned, uh, Little Dreamer. and Yeah, he's, uh, you know, and, and his passing not that long ago. I mean. Oh, yeah, of, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's so weird. But, you know, we'll, we'll all be looking up at that high water mark just as, as you know, we're talking about Stevie and, and Hendrix and, and Jeff Healy and all these amazing players. That high water mark is, keeps, us, keeps us on our toes. No doubt. Hey, before we go, would you tell me about this beautiful song called Awful Dreams? Like oh, some yeah. different than what we've been doing today. Yeah, you know, thanks for asking. And that's yeah. a song by Lightning Hopkins originally. And strangely enough, the lyrics uh, really make a lot of sense right now. Uh, not to get into anything political or world issues but i think maybe we will i think just uh you know from what we're seeing uh, happen certainly between russia and uh, ukraine um certainly wars going on around the world that we're not hearing about because they're not reported here for whatever terrible reasons uh women's rights that are under attack lgbtq yeah. rights that are under attack um there's just something about that song that um unintentionally became uh, very timely uh, so it was produced and recorded by my friend Michael Nielsen I don't know if you know Michael but um, if you don't I would love to connect you with him he is one of the most beautiful people in the world just the nicest guy Sweet. brilliant fucking guitar player producer composer um, has been extremely successful so he what did you say he produced this he produced this song, yes, this song. and uh, and another song, which was a Magic Sam cover called "Give Me Time," but so he produced it and was really, you know, wanting it to have sort of a cinematic feel, and yeah. um, and I just, yeah, we're tuned way down low. He we used his guitars. He had like a couple Les Pauls there, and um, I think we even used his amps. Was it a Comet and a Diesel? Like just totally different gear than what I normally use, and we used his pedals. Like it was all like. And it wasn't like, hey, you have to use these. It was like, let's just try a different, you know, palette. Let's see what happens. And and so that yeah. song became, uh, you know, certainly out of out of respect to Lightning Hopkins, who's one of the greatest of all time. But uh, I think the message of the song is just so spooky and, and wow. horrifying, and uh, it's kind of where we are in a lot of ways. And the so, lyrics are very spooky. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. It's, and the sounds you get. Yeah, I was. Because you, it's a tape echo on there or something, or you know, I don't even know if we did end up using tape echo on that one. Maybe because I'm, Michael is yeah. Michael had some beautiful tricks up his sleeve and stuff, and and uh, and again, he's a total like like us, a total tone nerd, and he's like you know using all kinds. Yeah, he's, he's dialed in. If you don't know Michael Nielsen, you gotta check. Him. He's got a YouTube channel called uh, Big Harry Guitars, and he's just like he's just like the coolest dude. I love him so much. Thanks for uh, meeting today, Philip. I, you know, Jude, it's nice to see you again. I know. As Ten years, you were at Musicians Institute, blowing the minds of these wow. young, young, inspired players, and a lot of them are now working. And I think wow. a lot of people have been requesting you for the podcast too. And oh, wow! So uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, great to have you. Really appreciate it. It's a it's an honor and a privilege to do this with you, Jude. Thank yeah, you for man. having me, man. Keep it alive till you're a million and five, my friend. <laughs> you, I will if you will. <laughs> That's yeah. the plan. That's the plan. Thank you.